When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you clean up your mind, take back control of your mental health, and live your happiest life. In this episode, I interview Dr. Nicole Kamek and Dr. Danielle Busby from Black Mental Wellness Corp. On Black Mental Health, Generational Trauma, How Allies Can Support Black, Indigenous and People of Color, Why Cultural Competency is Vital in Therapy, Stigmas in the Black Mental Health Community, How Black People Can Begin to Find Healing, Mental Health Resources for Black, Indigenous and People of Color, and so much more. Black Mental Wellness Corp. is an organization dedicated to providing evidence-based information and resources about mental health and behavioral health topics from a black perspective to highlight and increase the diversity of mental health professionals and to decrease the mental health stigma in the black community. Dr. Nicole is the president and CEO of Black Mental Wellness Corp. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and received her PhD in clinical psychology from the George Washington University. She currently serves as the program director of the Primary Care Mental Health Integration Clinic, where she provides mental health services to veterans in a co-located primary care setting. Services that she provides include brief individual therapy, couples therapy, and culturally responsive therapeutic groups that focus on race-based trauma, military sexual trauma, and resilience. Lastly, she leads the Diversity Training Subcommittee and promotes efforts to increase diversity and cultural competency among psychology graduate trainees. And she's an active participant on several leadership councils through the VA Medical Center. Dr. Kamek is passionate about mental health awareness, treatment, and reducing the mental health stigma, particularly as it relates to black communities. Both her clinical and research interests have continually focused on mental health issues specific to the black community and identifying ways to address the cultural and systemic issues that impact black mental health and wellness. This passion is what led to the development of black mental health wellness. Dr. Daniel Busby is the Vice President of Professional Relations and Liaison at Black Mental Wellness Corp. She received her BA in Psychology from the University of Michigan and her Master's and PhD in Clinical Psychology from the George Washington University. Dr. Busby completed her pre-doctoral internship with a Child Trauma Specialization at Duke's University Medical Center. Additionally, she completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Michigan Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry, where she was an awarded a recipient of the National Institute of Mental Health Research Supplement to promote diversity in health-related research. Dr. Busby is a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Michigan and in the state of Texas, where she currently resides. Currently, Dr. Busby is an assistant professor at Baylor College of Medicine, Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas. In this role, she primarily serves youth and families through the Trauma and Grief Clinic and is in the early stages of developing a clinic specific to youth depression and suicide prevention. Dr. Busby's research is centered on examining barriers to mental health service use, specifically amongst black college students who are at an elevated risk for suicide. Additionally, she has led and contributed to scholarly articles and research presentations on child trauma, youth suicide prevention, racial discrimination amongst black youth, and the psychological effects of neighborhood stresses, such as community violence exposure among African-American adolescents. Clinically, Dr. Busby's expertise is in trauma-informed assessment and intervention, evidence-based clinical
clinical practices and suicide risk assessment and intervention. She's passionate about decreasing barriers to mental health service use for underserved patient populations and is committed to continuously bridging the gap between research and clinical practice. If you enjoy my podcast, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review and subscribing to my podcast and share episodes and this podcast with friends and family because let's be honest, we all know someone who needs help with their mental health. One last thing before we begin. If you would like to receive text messages from me with mental health tips, exclusive content, insider access to sales and events, and more, just text Dr. Leaf to 833-285-3747. The details will also be in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Well, welcome Dr. Nicole Komek and Dr. Danielle Busby. I am so thrilled and honored that you are going to share my platform with me today. I want you to use this platform and I want you to speak from your heart and we've got a couple of questions and let's just dive into this incredibly important conversation in this incredibly important time. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, no, it's so great. It's so great to have you here. Okay, so can you just start by telling my listeners and viewers a little bit about yourselves and what you do and what keeps you motivated? Why do you do what you do? I'll start out. I am Dr. Nicole K. Mack. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I am the president of Black Mental Wellness Corporation. So we are a team of four licensed clinical psychologists and we really got together because we wanted to make an impact on Black mental health and wellness. We really wanted to highlight the ways that mental health may sort of manifest and show itself differently in Black communities, deal with some of the issues that are specific to the Black community, and also just think about healing and all of those things. Mm. And so we're passionate about reducing that mental health stigma. So we want to make it relatable to people so that it doesn't seem like this scary thing. And then also we think that it's important to think about the next generation of mental health, behavioral health professionals and advocates. And so we started a national training program where we both mentor students in undergrad and graduate school for a year long where they're assigned to one of our team members. And then we have an internship program. So we're very- That's amazing. That's amazing. You're doing so much. That's incredible. Wow. Dr. Danielle? Yeah, I just I, I think Nicole did a really good job of kind of explaining our purpose and our passion. But I think I just want to speak a little bit more to some of the, the reasons we personally started this. And I think just as professionals, being in a clinical setting and seeing patients, I think we all started to see that among Black communities, a lot of times there was a lot of stigma around coming into treatment. And so a lot of times people were coming in way later in regard to severity. And so they were at a higher level of risk and had more problems in, the, in particular areas. And like it really matched what we see in the data as it relates to severity. And so that was just a concern for us. Like we want to be able to help people get to the services they need um, sooner, right? So that we can have less stress for those individuals. And so I think for all of us as providers, we saw that professionally and that was something we really wanted to target. But we also saw it personally. Well, I know I, I saw it personally just like within my yeah. own community and seeing the different ways in which people cope and seeking, you know, formal treatment or professional treatment was not something that is mm. as readily acceptable or is like a go-to. First. So we really wanted to try to make the information that we give to people relatable. And we really want to be like the middleman between some of the jargon that exists in the mental health world. I yeah. even joke that sometimes it can feel like alphabet soup, right? Oh like gosh, PhD, it's crazy. MSW, LMSW, all these things. I think yeah. it's really hard for people to understand. Yeah. Um, so those were some of the reasons that we really were passionate about the work that we're doing. We're really excited to be here today. So thank you for having us. Oh no, I'm very excited too. And I'm so glad that you do what you do because I've spent 38 years myself trying to help people understand the mind-brain connection and help people realize that emotions are very normal things and that, you know, the toxic issues that we are dealing with, that this is something all humans have. It's not some it out there. It's actually something that we all experience and we need to be more, you know, sort of level the playing field so that people can be more accepting and so on. And, and I know that it's, it's you know, it's, it's culturally, there's a big difference. As, as you say, the black community, it's been a huge stigma. It's a huge stigma everywhere, but it seems like it's even worse. Are you starting to make a break through with your educational platform as well? Is, are you seeing change? 
I like to think we're seeing change. I think that something that I've enjoyed seeing the last few years is just how openly people are talking about mental health in the Black community. So if you look on social media, it's not just, you know, these accounts associated with organizations, but Mm. there are who are sharing their journeys. You have people talking about therapy and using terms appropriately, like calling it depression or anxiety or trauma. I think that you also see celebrities helping to normalize it. So every time someone is able to talk about their experience in therapy, how it helped them, how it changed them, that's breaking the stigma. And the fact that we can have these conversations and people aren't shying away from it, I am excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's so, I agree with you. Danielle, did you want to add to that? But yeah, the only thing, the additional things that I would add to that is that I definitely am also seeing change and I'm seeing an openness from generations before mm-hmm. that there wasn't a yeah. real openness around talking about mental health or mental health treatment. And so that definitely excites me. I think just through the work that Black Mental Wellness is doing and the range of partnerships that we've had, I think we're beginning to you know, really tackle that stigma even more. And so I don't think it's, you know, a fix all everything. No, it's going to take time. A step in the right direction. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, that's especially in the current, it's in the current climate, which is an insane current climate, but it's also a good thing because there's awareness created. And, you know, I know as a neuroscientist that I've done years of research looking at how you can't, the science of thought. So you can't change these non-conscious implicit biases unless you're consciously aware of them. You know, so this conscious awareness that we're seeing now, we can't let it just be a blip and then go back. You know, we have to accelerate. We have to make sure that we get that change, you know, constantly climbing. So the more discussions that we have, and that's why we've made a decision as an organization to be an ally and to make our platform available to try and get this discussion out there. And to, to we got to, we just got to help each other. And that's, so there's a lot of questions around that I want to ask you. But my first question I want to ask you is, why has it been such a stigma in the black community? I mean, I know it's across the globe. But 60 years ago, it was not like this in the, in the white community. Then it became a stigma because of the way mental health has been managed and the narrative and everything around it. But specifically in the black community, I've interviewed quite a few people now, and it's really an issue that you, like, you're just supposed to be strong and cope kind of thing. Well, why is it like that? What is the story behind this? I think it's really important to situate that question in, in the correct context historically, right? And I think if we're honest, not even just mental health, but the health system in general, there are so many historical accounts of mistrust, of instances in which we create mistrust for people in the community. And I understand the mistrust. I mean, my own family members have a lot of the mistrust and I am constantly, you know, in conversation with them about, I understand, but this is how we can kind of have the skills and the knowledge with us to approach a mental health provider, approach a health system and see, is it a good fit for us? Because there's been so many things that have created instances where, you know, providers haven't always had people in the Black community's best interest at heart. And I think if we hold that at the same time as, and I need treatment, I can totally understand why someone would, you know, try to find other sources before going to a more, you know, Mm -hmm. traditional source of treatment. Yeah. And so I think that's one reason. Nicole, I'll let you hit on the, the next. Piece. I like that you're going to that historical context because I think that shapes a lot of where we are today, right? And the interesting part that I think what's happening right now is doing is it's sort of peeling back the layers that people from Black communities have already known and experienced, but it's showing it in every way. So for as much as we can say there's this historical context of why there's a stigma in the Black community, you think about the Tuskegee experiments. And I remember when I worked uh, on a project with NIH, like after I finished undergrad, I did like this program and we were in the communities in Baltimore and they talked about like, oh, we were a part of these studies and they came in and they like got what they needed and they left us. Or they, they felt used or just things that have happened historically. But for as much as we think about the historical factors, right? Mm-hmm. Think about healthcare now and the disparities in healthcare and how providers miss key components when it comes to black people. So even mm-hmm. thinking about our pain level, right? Like you're in pain mm-hmm. and you explain this to a provider, and there are all of these flaws beliefs that, oh, because they're Black and they're strong, they can handle this pain or, oh, you know, like coming in. And so even in my work, I do, I work with veterans Mm. currently 
but just feeling like I've tried to talk to someone in the past and my feelings were minimized or I was made to feel like I was crazy or it wasn't validated in a way that I needed. And so people start to also build up these negative beliefs about mm-hmm. mental health professionals. And I feel like that's part of what one of my number one goals with Black Mental Wellness was how do we change what the face of mental health looks like? So again, it doesn't feel scary. So if you see someone who looks like you, who can talk like you, who can speak to your experiences, then will that help? And I understand that you can't or just, can't just be like, oh, only go to a Black provider, but maybe there are providers who are culturally competent and who are bringing these issues up in sessions mm. so that feel like you're being heard and validated and really make that change. I just wanted to also add, I think there's an idea or, not even a mantra, but like there's a a spirit within the Black community, I think sometimes that you are, at least generationally previously, where you've kind of been taught to keep things private and you've been Mm. taught to keep things in-house. And that could be your immediate family member that may even extend sometimes to your like religious institution or the church that you attend, but like beyond those particular entities, I think sometimes it's taboo really to Mm. talk to someone else or let someone else in on what's going on given just not not even just medical mistrust but general mistrust that may be present for people and i want to add to that that when i first like thought about we need this organization that sort of drove it is that in the black community because of what we've been through as a people right there's a lot of value placed on being strong. And I like want to shift that narrative of like strong doesn't mean you don't attend to your health or you have to suffer or you Very have to do mm. But that's what happens. So, you know, you always hear about the strong black woman. I think like, you know, when people see you and it happens to me, like people see you know, the challenges or like the things that I'm taking on at work, they don't say like, oh, I should help you. It's like, you're so strong. And so mm. that makes it more difficult to break through those barriers and say, I need help because people mm. aren't even seeing you as a person at that point. They're seeing you as this like superhero. And so I've heard that in therapy where people, black women have said, I sat in the chair and my therapist said, but you're so strong. And I think that people see that as a compliment, but in a lot of ways it can be defeating because it's like, even in this setting, I have to put on this front, like I'm okay. That's exhausting. It's it's so exhausting. And so what ends up happening, as Mm -hmm. you said, Danielle, is that by the time people come in for therapy, Black people specifically, a lot of times the symptoms are so much more severe. It's like, not only did I have this trauma, but I started drinking. I started using substances. I lost my mm. job. My wife left me. I did, and now I'm seeking help because at this point, I've tried to handle it all on my own. So if mm. we can educate people to come in sooner, Hopefully that too can prevent some of those other consequences of not having that care. Mm. So it's those perceptions are and those labels and those perceptions of what a black woman is or a black man is or what that, that limits people. Those labels lock people in and it's 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 kind of defining someone you're putting a definition on someone that's not true and then, then then there's a value attached to it so people can't express themselves so I've got to be strong so I can't cry or I can't say I'm tired or I can't say I'm feeling this today because of this situation because you kind of not allowed to it does you're not you're not getting permission to feel that but we've got to give ourselves we've got to have that compassion for ourselves and with each other to give ourselves permission to feel and to express those feelings and describe them and that hasn't been happening You're exactly right, because I think about Black men as well. We talked about women, but this idea that masculinity is based on not having emotions, right? Gosh, it's so insane, isn't it? Express emotion. Is it human? You can't not have an emotion. (laughs) (laughs) Like, seriously? You're in this field, right? It's like, what do you mean? We're human. So, of course, you have emotions, and that is healthy to express those emotions. But... Most importantly, feeling safe to be able to do that without having your, you know, your identity, your manhood, your womanhood, your role as a mother, Mm. your role as a wife questioned because you're having those emotions. Yeah. Wow, so it's almost like redefinitions are needed, and that's a lot of education. It's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of taking away these perceptions and and redefining them. 
seeing them differently. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Some of the, the research that I've done is looking at the science of thought, which is part of in the mind of the non-conscious mind and how implicit biases form and how habits form and that kind of thing, which goes so much to, you know, the, the white privilege and the, and the, the things that we don't even know are in our, in our non-conscious mind. And then to all of us, our cultural upbringing and everything, we've got all this driving us. We just have to get it all out and we have to start changing it. But what I wanted to mention about the emotion side, thoughts are real things. They're not just these, they concepts that are real, but they, and they're in your brain and they occupy mental state. They even look like trees in your brain. This has been years trying to teach people this. And a thought's got emotions and information and physical reactions. So, and that's every human. So how can we say, because you have a black skin and you're a black woman, that you don't have emotions because you're a human with thoughts. And so this is what I'm trying to do with, with my work is say, hey, listen, humans have thoughts. This is what a thought is. And if you don't deal with it, it causes brain damage. Damage. And if you have toxic issues, this is going to be causing. So if you actually racist and you have racist issues, or you've got non-conscious implicit biases that you don't even know, you've got to do the work of finding them because of your cultural belief, because they're actually damaging your own brain. So you know, and damaging, and then it damages relationships. So I mean, I just throw that in there to reinforce that we have to stop. We've got to like redefine things, don't we? It's almost like we have to redefine so many basic principles. Right. And if you can do that work within yourself as a provider, as a white provider, too, it's like, it's, you know, as you're working with people of different cultures, being able to see them as human first and being able to understand these historical things, these, you know, situational experiences, how systemic racism is, how that all impacts what you're seeing in the room, then you're really making a change. Then you but can if you make a change. You're ignoring what's happening in the world. What you're also doing is you're contributing to what that person is feeling because in that room and in that space, they're not being seen. You know, in South Africa, there's a term, a greeting that says Saobona, and it means I see you. And so it honors the value in a person. And I was just talking to some other, interviewing another person just earlier on, and she mentioned, she's also from South Africa, and we were discussing this term that is Saobona. It's like, it's such a beautiful thing because it's I see you. And in a lot of the work I've done, you first look at the person, not whether they're male, female, whatever, whatever. It's you look at you, I see you, you know, and that's something that I think as humans now, we've got to reach the point in, in humanity where we start seeing each other. I totally agree. And I think the work, like how you mentioned implicit bias earlier, I think that's going to be so important for people to, you know, do the work to become aware of what are their implicit biases and how they're impacting not just the work they do, but like how they're interacting with people on the daily. And so I think you make some really strong points there. No, that's really it. I think it's really important. Well, why do you think it's important to include race in conversation about mental health and wellness? Because you know, as as a as a society, not just as individuals coming in for therapy, but societal. Let's go. Let's go with what's happening at the moment. I think taking into context everything that we've already talked about, and I'll be honest, I was also excited to hear that as people were talking about what's happening now, that Black mental health came up as part of that process. So excited. Because mm. It's like, oh, people are getting it in a way that feels like they're getting it at a deeper and more authentic level than they have previously. But you can't talk about Black people in America without thinking about the impact that being in America, like historically on through, how that has impacted their mental, our mental health. Mm. So Come on, you can't separate that. You can't separate it. And it's in like the smallest things, just thinking about... You know, we know the origins of coming from being taken from different countries in Africa and you're taken from this foreign land. You go through, you know, the ocean and you're stacked up in this ship and then you're taken mm -hmm. somewhere to this foreign land. If you survived that part. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you get here and you're treated like animals. You're forced to, you know, give free labor and you're enduring abuse and you're being separated from your family. Like, and that's like, as a mother, I could not think about birthing mm -hmm. my child. And at some point someone selling her mm -hmm. and, and separating us. But this is what mm -hmm. happens to black people in America for years. And it's the ugly part of our fabric mm -hmm. that people don't want to discuss having to fight and you know, identify ways to break away and escape for freedom. And I'm saying all of that to say we know that in other populations, when they look at the transmission of trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at it across generations and yes. you see how trauma is passed down, even yeah. generations away from where yeah. the 
tragic, tra traumatic experience happened. Now, I think about slavery in the same way that I explain it to my veteran. You're being blooded every day, mm. every night with trauma. The fear mm -hmm. of what will happen. Think about what that does to you mentally, what it does to how we think about family, how we think about relationships, how you connect, how you hold on to your children because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then you think about now I am having, you know, generations later. I'm sure if they studied it, it's still there. Oh, it is. That's epigenetics. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but that's one of the areas that I work in. And it, it passes through four generations. It actually keeps going. I mean, it's constant. You know, that's that it's it, it's it's there. It's inside of us. So whatever you experience, whatever thought you grow in your brain, that is going to pass through the sperm and the over to the next generations. And there's so much research supporting that. So you have got the kids being born today have got that in their psyche. It's there. And I explained it to my daughter goes to a school that's very different from how I grew up. And they're very free when it comes to like staying overnight and letting them go. And I, we have like a diversity, equity and inclusion group. And one of the things I talked about is like, oh, I have to evaluate, like, why am I like this as a parent? Like even that fear when we're in public, I hold on to her tight. You know, it's like I can't let you out of my eyesight because I don't know what might happen to you. Okay. Nothing's ever happened. Nothing's ever happened to her, but that was how I was parented. Yeah. That's how my mother was parented. It's sort of like just passed down. So all of these things impact our psyche, how you relate to the world, how you see yourself in the world, how you relate to other people, how you have to navigate microaggressions, how you see things happening and you don't have power to change it. And then if we bring it to present day with George Floyd, you know, I feel mm. like it was catalyst of what's been there it yes, was the just explosion people. the volcano exploded i can't take it anymore and so if you as a provider like you know just thinking what that does to people but then if you think as a provider in the therapy room how can you meet with someone and not think about them within these contexts and at least figure mm -hmm. out what it means for them if there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it's magnesium. Magnesium is a great mineral for helping reduce anxiety and stress because it plays a major role in calming the nervous system and magnesium can aid in improving brain function. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about a new magnesium product I've been taking now and one I really love called Magnesium Breakthrough from BioOptimizers. Go to www magbreakthrough.com forward slash leaf and use the coupon code drleaf10 to save up to 40% of select packages to get the most full spectrum and effective magnesium product ever. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. When I do my clinical trials, we look at a case study, an individual within their narrative. The most important part of my research is the person's narrative and their context. And if you don't consider that, you, you can't measure a person because, you know, the whole move was research, in, even in psychology, psychiatry, etc., is not done properly. It's done, but there's numbers. You're not a number. You're an individual with an individual story. And we have to look at narrative and context within each person. And it's so logical, but it's not being applied, is it? I think the, like when the question you asked about like why is it important for us to be having this conversation about like mental health about wellness largely and I think I'm happy to see that this conversation is starting to happen but I think we need to start having this conversation in the context of health overall like, yeah I think a lot maybe, of times I think mm -hmm. this, this is yeah like this is really important because not just because we need to talk about mental health specifically but because your mental health is going to directly impact exactly your if we look at disparity around different health conditions and if we were looking at differences by race like we see very clear indicators that certain groups of people have yeah. higher rates of x y and z compared to others mm -hmm. and i can't help but make that link in that because certain groups of people particularly black americans are experiencing so many ranges of stressors in this country mm -hmm. some some related to, to, to race some races related to SES, some related to not really being integrated within these larger systems or being considered in these larger systems and that naturally is going to impact how well we are physically, right? And mm, and that's course. all people, you know what I mean? How well you are a, a, approaching your mental health and wellness is going to directly impact how physically you're doing. And so I think 
understanding that, like you said, like that mind body connection is so important mm. for all people, but I think it's particularly important for black people. No, I'm so glad you raised that point because it is so significant. You know, I do the research I do is mind body connection. And we just see like we we to see a, a level of stress that is whatever level of stress immediately. For example, I'll give you one simple example, just to emphasize what, how we have to look at disparity and we have to look at health is if you are under constant toxic stress and not managing it. So this coming through the generations, worrying about getting in the car and a policeman stops you going to a, ta- a takeout place and you walk in and they look at the white person this way and the black person that I've got two black son-in-laws and they they tell me this they'll get in my 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 son and, and daughter are married to 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 black people and and they they'll they'll go into the same restaurant they'll look at their husbands differently to what they look at them that stress now I know from my research and it's not just my research there's a lot of others but my most recent clinical trial show that there's a significant link between that kind of constant living under that kind of pressure and toxic stress to, for example, dementia to cardiovascular issues, to so to getting dementias in like your 50s and 40s, which is what we're seeing. People dying of cardiovascular. Now we know in the black community that there's a massive increase in early identified dementias and cardiovascular issues. So we see a direct raise in, for example, homocysteine levels under that kind of stress, which immediately puts you at risk for those. But if you control it, another thing, telomeres, your DNA, the actual telomeres, which are the little caps on the ends of the chromosomes, those things shrink significantly under toxic stress. In other words, you age your cellular aging so we saw people under extreme stress their biological age was 20 years older than their chronological age so now i'm thinking okay so if this is what people are experiencing now we translate that into a constant state of stress that the black community is living under because of racism and etc etc and the whole everything that we know this is the risk this is why you know we can't ignore this we have to do something about it so i'm really glad you raised i mean i get so passionate about this because it's it's just got to change and it the, the evidence is there. Look at COVID. Who's getting hit the worst? But people ignore it and they don't see it as evidence and they don't see the ways that they are contributing to what's happening. So I work in a mm. primary care setting and you see the black patients, they're like disproportionately dealing with like dialysis and mm. they're like, you young. It's like, how? Or, you know, you have diabetes or high blood pressure and all of these things. And it's interesting because what primary care providers are starting to refer them to is like, oh, you should go to, we have like this whole health where they can do meditation and yoga and acupuncture and all of these ways. So it's all about how do we bring the stress down? But I think systemically, we have to look at how all of these different systems have been impacted by racism in Exactly. You have to find the origin, don't we? We can't just put a band-aid on the window. Yes, we need all of those techniques because you've got to help people cope in the situation. But it doesn't mean we don't pull out the root. We have to still... Right. So you look at the communities, you look at jobs, you look at hiring practices, you look at pay differentials, you look at, did I say school systems? Because that's important, right? That's huge. You look at... That it's just like all of these factors and it's like you're fighting through life essentially. Mm. That's heavy. Mm. It's heavy. That's terrible. So, to live with that. So that is really it's not like, oh, why does the black community die younger or have more it's because of what we've done. It's systemic racism that has created a con you can't live under constant pressure and not have a consequence because your mind moves through your body and your brain. Your mind and brain are separate but inseparable. So obviously the extent of the mind pressure is going to reflect in the brain and the body. And that's why we have to keep this in conscious awareness. We have to do everything we can to keep this in conscious awareness now so that we don't go back and just have a little shift and it go back and have a little shift. We've got to, you know, up the shift. Yeah, we have to keep going. So how can we help support black mental health? What is something that the white people, a lot of white people are listening to this, what can they do to help? I think step one is just what we're doing right here is having education. Because through this, you can get the education and then you can start to have those, you know, sort of internal conversations with yourself about where those areas that I need to grow a little more and I need to learn more. Or what are some ways that I can improve how I think, what I do to change the systems that I'm in? What can I, you know, like you just start to think about it differently. If we're all being honest, you can have those clear steps of this is where I can make an impact. I can directly change, you know, my hiring practices. I can make sure that I diversify the leadership in my company. I can make sure that the education in the school system reflects the total school and the truth of the children that are in there and not just one population. 
We can make sure that we're providing access to care and for quality care and making sure that people have access to it and can afford the mental health treatment that they need. We can fund small businesses. We can fund organizations that are out here doing the community work where they will connect providers to those who need them. There's community programming. We think about budgets. It's like so many ways. So that we many ways. So I know like people are like, Feeling like, oh, where do we even start? But we all need to start somewhere because exactly. the system targeted from different sort of standpoints. I was just going to add, I just think it's so important for people to figure out what their lane is going to be. So I think a lot of times when we're having these discussions, it feels overwhelming because you're thinking about all the different ways you can begin to do the work. And I think really figuring out what is my skill set? What do I offer? What, are, what is a strong point for me? And then like taking that lane and making it your charge in, in whatever particular way that's going to address like these larger systemic issues. And I think a lot of times we think about how can I do this one thing or how can I have this one group come in and talk to us, but like, how can we integrate it, right? Like how can this really be about a part of the fabric of the work you do and not an add-on? Because I think that experience mm, that's key. is part Not of an add-on, but part of the fabric. Right, we're a part of the fabric because we've been a part of the fabric, right? Like exactly. for, for years and, and we haven't always felt that we were. And I think if people can be intentional about like, how do I truly integrate these, these, these ideals, these principles into the work that I do, we'll see greater change. And, and I think people will be more personally connected to the things that they're doing. And it'll be a part across their system. It's not just this thing I need to do to check off my list. Mm. And, I, and not that I'm saying everyone does that, but I'm saying in general, If we really want to embody the things we're talking about, we're going to have to make it bigger than the month of February or Minority Mental Health Month or, you know, these things that make you think about particular groups. So that would be my my addition. I love that. So if I if I if I take what you both said, it's a situation of educate, which is what we we've chosen to. I don't know if you see on our social media platform what we've decided we've we've chosen to educate people, be an ally. There's so much out there because there's movies, there's books, whatever. So there is. We're doing a challenge. I'm doing a challenge with Michelle Williams over the next from 22nd to 21 days, where we're going to detox our minds to detox society. So we're going to try and help people to have the courage to dig deep and find that systemic implicit biases you don't think you have but they there to the point of you know like just as you say that are you looking at your black employees differently to your white employees why do we you know it's not like an add-on i love that you said it's not an add-on it's a fabric so we can take what you said and we can actually say okay well this these are the this is how the company runs or this is how the organization runs or this is how whatever runs is it the same for all humans or am i making a difference is there a difference between how you treat whites and how you're treating blacks you know it's those basic things that we could educate and and stand back and look at how things are actually being run right at the level of how the fabric has been weaved together. And if we do that as a conversation, it takes courage and it's going to take a lot of looking inside of ourselves, but that's how we grow. That's what humans are supposed to do anyway. And we can do it together. It's not like we're doing it, doing it alone. We can do it together. We can come alongside and do that together. You wrote, wrote a phenomenal article that you contributed to for HuffPost, and I love it. And it's, it's something that I re- we're going to put the link on, on the show notes. And I want everyone to read it because you also talk, you give a lot of advice there about how to just listen. You know, how to just, I love that. Can you talk about that as well? You know, the validation of what you're going through, et cetera. I grew up in South Africa. I saw apartheid. I worked for 25 years in the pre transition in the post-apartheid era. And I saw the effects of racism, but I could go home at night as a white woman, even though I was in the community and we were, my husband was building houses and whatever in education and mental health, but I could go home at night. So I cannot understand. I just saw the effects and it was horrific. So how do we listen properly and get that empathy that we need? Because empathy will drive the action. It will keep things in the forefront of our heads that we do stuff. you like that. I think it's just what you said, like in part of listening, it's not listening to, I think sometimes what happens in this conversation is, you know, if I as a black woman share my experience and I'm sharing it with a white woman, they may take like ownership or have guilt or have other things get in the way or try to justify or minimize. And maybe that's some of that discomfort that you're experiencing. And it is going to be a very uncomfortable discussion because it's uncomfortable being a Black person in America for many people. 
It's uncomfortable living through a lot of the experiences that we have. And so I think when you listen, it's just listening to, again, see that person, to hear that person, to listen without judgment, to listen without trying to justify or explain away, but really to understand if I can hear you and if I can see you, then maybe I can understand what your experiences are like. I can understand that you know, what you're going through, how it impacts you. And then I can start to realize, wow, this is how big this problem really is. And here are some ways that I can be a part of changing that. And so listening really provides that sort of safe space and shows that you are interested, you care, you're aligning with that person, you see that person, that person is important and what they're experiencing is important. But most most importantly is your learning. Because I feel like for Mm. so long, Experiences have been things that have been shared among the Black community, but other people may or may not be privy to it or may not have to, I shouldn't say privy, they haven't had to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. that's where the, Mm -hmm. you have the privilege Mm -hmm. of not dealing with this. Mm. For Black families, you don't get that privilege. How we raise, again, how we raise our children, how we communicate to each other, how we act in public, how we carry ourselves at work, how we, you know, stay safe in places where you don't know, is it okay to be here? I grew up Mm. in Virginia and there are places that you go, you know, 30, 40 minutes outside of Richmond and it's like, hmm, this doesn't seem like a place for Black people. I have to think about that. So I think listening. We need to is- hear that. We need to hear that. Mm-hmm. We need to feel that. I totally agree with Nicole from the standpoint of like listening is so important and really making space for someone to truly share their experience in a way that you're not justifying. You're not trying to like work mm. through your own stuff in that process. But I also think to proactively take a, take your own steps in educating yourself is also really important. Because I think what happens a lot of times in the Black community, I feel like for the Black community, you feel the pressure of other people to ask you to educate them on That's the too experience. much, yeah. Mm-hmm. And while we want to, you know, of course, share our experiences to whatever degree, it's still a lot of pressure involved. Yeah. In that. So the, the ways in which you can do your own work, like the web, like going on Google. Oh, and to, the to, books you know, and the movies, books, there's, there's no excuse for resources, resources yeah. Right. Like there's tons of ways in which you can kind of like do that work. Yeah. And I think coming to someone when you're listening to even, I mean, you don't have to showcase you've done the work, but kind of acknowledge like, you know, this isn't to, for you to teach me everything. I, you know, these are kind of the steps I'm taking. And so do that for yourself. Like what steps am I taking? Am I, am I leaning on individuals only to educate me on certain experiences or just to learn from, or am I taking proactive steps to genuinely model, not just for like youth, but for my peers or whatever, that this is how you proactively take the steps to do better. And you don't, and, and to accept you're not going to do it perfect, but you're making that intentional effort and you're doing that intentional work. That's, I think it's also what's really That's really. Mm. Add to that too, is like when we're in these spaces and, Again, I want to emphasize that just because you get to a certain level or you have a certain education, it doesn't mean that these experiences aren't still there. So Mm, that's very good. As a licensed clinical psychologist, Mm. I have to fight and work twice as hard to prove why I am in a room. And I get questioned by people in ways that people with less degrees or education or experiences do not. The other thing that comes up is that when we're in spaces like this and we're having these discussions, the ownership, the responsibility, the idea of even discussing oftentimes fall on Black people or people of color, right? So if I think about my job and if we're thinking about diversity issues, every time I go to a diversity committee meeting, it's head by a Black person. The attendees are Black, Indian, you know, Asian, LGBTQ. Where's the whites? Where? <laughs> and then it's like, we're always the ones in the room discussing it. So something as easy as like, join the committee. Yeah. A lot of professional organizations have a diversity subcommittee. Join. Be a part of that. Bring up the discussions yourself, even if you don't always have all the answers, because we don't have all the answers either. But that's Mm -hmm. a perfect way of showing I'm going to share this with you. I think this is important, too. And I think that is sort of if one person opens up and talk about it, it sort of like opens it up for other people as well, where it's like, hmm, maybe we do need to talk about this or I need to, you know, think about these things because. There have been people who have said, I haven't been trained like this. I don't know how to 
do this work. And it's like, well, you don't get the luxury. Again, that's that privilege. That's the privilege. So if we don't listen, we don't know. So you just have to listen and hear, you know, be part of these committees, be part of these conversations. We need to be having these conversations. We need to hear and then we need to educate ourselves. And then when you listen and you understand, start to, how do we ever understand that unless you are in it? But because you can never, you can never be an expert on someone else's experience, but you can certainly have the empathy and, and share through listening to that person. And then you can educate yourself and then you can find your lane. This is what I'm summarizing what you, what you've said. And you can find your lane and you can actually do something. Get the shock, get the listen, hear the pain. Then, you know, hear the pain, educate and get your lane. Hear the pain, educate, get your lane. We can, we, we, we do that together and we can start moving forward. It's there. It's just, yeah. And, and to have the more do you need to say this, take this away. You, you lead this now. Some, some, t- say what you need to say. Share. Nicole, before you jump into like additional things, I just want to wanted to make one more comment. And I totally agree with, with much of the like summary that you gave, but I think it's important for us to hold the fact that like in this, country black americans have been through yes a lot of pain but to at the same time without giving this narrative of strong black man strong black woman but at the same time acknowledge and accept like there are so many stories of resilience so many stories of joy and it's not all like i, I just have I, love this, I have a, a the desire to come from a more strength-based model and that, that you know there are definitely things that we need to work on but there are so many strengths that we have already we already hold within our culture and within our way of being and so I just, I just don't want to, I've, I've never liked to paint the story as all pain, but I think for, Love people, for all people to, to hold both at the same time is really important. And I think it humanizes us in really real ways. I love that because then you see the, the the resilience in humanity to overcome adversity and how we know all the research. I mean, you girls are, are totally educated. You're both doctors. You know that adversity will breed resilience. So that's, that's what you're saying, Dr. Danielle, is, is actually to understand that that adversity has also shown a level of resilience that's also educational for others. I love that to focus not just on the negative, but on the, the positive that's come from adversity. I think that's the core of like black people, right? Like we're going to find a way to unite, to find the joy in life, to connect to people, to dance, to sing, to, you know, we are a community in so many ways. And maybe part of that humanity is not for us to know because we know that about ourselves. We know that about black people. It's just like this aura that we have when we're Mm. around each other. I think people need to see us in that way. Mm. And that we are full beings. And if Black people in America are able to still have the joy and the family, the spirituality, you know, the, the core values to be able to maintain a family despite those times when families were ripped apart. Mm-hmm. And you're still doing that and smiling and laughing and being, you know, unreal. finding everything. That's unreal. Like yeah. imagine if there were true support and changes in a lot of these systemic things. So I do, I think that's the beautiful thing about Black culture is that we find that joy despite the pain, mm. but it, that pain doesn't hurt. Mm, that joy in community, I love that. That's really amazing. You know, there's a, in quantum physics, there's a principle, quantum physics is called the science of thought, basically. And there's a, one quantum physicist who always says, it's not about you, it's about you in the world. You know, and that's kind of what you've just said. And if we can just, you know, the you is everyone. But at the moment, there isn't, everyone isn't being considered. Uh, my son-in-law was using the example of, you know, you know, there's been this whole thing when people say Black Lives Matter and then everyone's responded with All Lives Matter. And I mean, we had so many people climbing into us and unfollowing us and getting mad and saying God doesn't see different, it, different color is an honoring thing. It's so important to actually see color because the diversity is so beautiful. There's no dif- value. There shouldn't be value judgments in difference. And my son-in-law was saying that it's like an emergency room where everyone needs attention. Everyone's there in the doctor's room like, and then, then someone comes comes in bleeding and they're on an ambulance, obviously they're going to get attention. So that's, I mean, that the analogy has been used quite a lot across the across social media. And that's what we have to do. We have to look at, in order for us to be human, we have to address what's bleeding. And so we have to focus on that. So you have to look at that and you have to see that and what's wrong with that and why are they bleeding and how can we fix it and what can we do to prevent that happening again and that kind of stuff. So I don't know, just a sort of an analogy that pops in my head at this stage. It's coming back to that being decent humans. <laughs> for sure i i just did a i made commentary of parenting.com article and, and they were asking me about tips to share about how to raise like a racially conscious child right and yeah. i think 
the one part of what you said about it's so important to celebrate and to acknowledge difference in how people are unique versus this idea of let's all just be the same let's make us one thing like i think that's the traditional ideal that people think we're 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 seeking but in that same way when you talked about the greeting being i see you when you tell me that we're all the same but i'm looking at such a very obvious difference and we just sat here and talked about all the systematic problems that look different for different groups of people i don't feel seen right like i can't feel seen if you're telling me i'm the same and so while i appreciate the sentiments around the idea of this collective unity or this collective race, I think it can be very dismissive of I agree with very you. key things that are important to anybody about exactly. who they are and where they come from. Everyone is feeling more on edge these days with the uncertainty of the pandemic. Experts worry that the stress we're feeling during this time will lead to more mental health issues and that will be the next curve we'll need to worry about. Luckily, there are things we can invest in in our homes like infrared saunas from Sunlighten. A clinical trial found that infrared heat by increasing core body temperature help with mild to moderate depression in unmedicated patients. There's nothing better than a 30 to 40 minutes in the comfortable heat that provides so many relaxation benefits. I use my infrared sauna every day. Learn more about Sunlighten saunas and their mental and physical benefits at sunlighten.com slash Dr. Caroline Leaf. By mentioning my name, you will also get a special discount of $600 off your purchase, $100 off a sauna and $500 off shipping. The link and offer details are in the show notes. I mean, one of the deepest things that people say, you know, the work that I've done, when my patients would come to me, one of the first core things I'd have to work on would be identity and that value that that was shot. I mean, people's identities were shot. And if you don't have your identity, you don't want to live. And I know you work, Dr. Danielle, with suicide. You've you've done some stuff with suicide prevention and that kind of thing. And, and I've done some work in that area too. And no one wants to be seen as just, oh, I'm like everyone else. It's the most basic human thing that people will say, this is how I see it. I mean, how, how many times do you do it within your own family where you're turned to your husband or your wife or your kids or you know let me say my say I want this is how I see it we want to be seen so if that basic thing is there we've got to acknowledge the beauty of of the different races and the cultures it's incredible because each one is enhancing I don't like competition I like enhancement and I believe that our society needs to shift towards a, a philosophy of enhancement because enhancement I see you and I see you not as a threat I see you as something I see your culture your belief system, whatever, as something that enhances mine, not threatens. But whereas competition implies threat, enhancement implies that I see the value and, and I can learn from the... And that's how the science shows as well, the quantum physics, also all of the neuroscience. When we enhance, we grow, we improve. As soon as you are jealous or envious or judging or putting a value difference, you actually cause brain damage. You know, we told people this message, every time you judge someone or you don't celebrate someone for I see you, the Sauerbrunner concept, you're causing brain damage in your own brain. And I'm thinking, maybe that's how to get people's attention is like do you want some brain damage well then judge someone you know <laughs> I, love that. I didn't know and then that. it takes a lifetime of judgment that's even worse so exactly. i agree yeah <laughs> in seeing our differences it's like you said it it for as much as we're different it allows for a deeper level of connection so when i can learn about your culture your experiences your values then it's like oh wow and then it's interesting because for as much as we're different you know i joked with my friend she's like i want to buy you can i send you dinner you know i'm jewish this is what we do and i'm like that's what southern black people do you send food whenever something happens and it's just about yeah, the commonalities oh. as well and it's like, if we can see that, then we see where we're different, but also different ways that we can make connections and truly like understand each other, that this mm. is, us, you know, black, white, Latina, Asian. It's like, oh, we're a people, we're human. We're now, people. Trust that, right. And each different color in race is going to enhance each other. And that's exactly what the brain science does. If you celebrate someone else, you actually improve brain health dramatically. Your brain looks different. So that means your decision of your mind is going to bring brain health into your brain and your body collectively. It changes your hormones. It, it increases your changes, the homocysteine levels. It changes your telomeres. I mean, these are like really basic scientific facts that need to be, I believe, this is from my angle, need to be added to the discussion on race. Is we need 
need to bring in these very strong scientific factors that we don't separate out the psychology from the impact that it's having on our biology and the importance of enhancement. Gosh, there's so there's the, this is okay. To, to, Dan, Danielle, tell us a little bit about your work with. I know that because I was reading here about that you look at black college students who are at an elevated risk for suicide. Yeah, absolutely. So I received NIMH diversity supplement grant, which is during my postdoctoral year at University of well, the University of Michigan, I worked with Dr. Cheryl King there, and she's a leader in a lot of suicide prevention work around um, adolescents. But I really wanted to look um, at college students in particular. I think that's a very unique developmental period. I think that's a time that a lot of transitions are happening around identity and around change. And I was really interested in understanding for the Black college students in particular, like what are the things that get away, get in the way of seeking services. So it's actually the the top finding we found was that it's perceived need. There's a like it's a general consensus within that like I don't think it's that bad. Like we've kind of been through a lot of tough things and we've had a lot of tough experiences already. So whatever mental health risk factors I may be experiencing right now, and these are all people who are at elevated risk for suicide. And so that means they either screened for a past suicide attempt, they had a high depression indicator or some sort of substance abuse past or current. And so these are people that are already exhibiting higher rates of risk. And even in that, this group is particular in particular is saying that they don't really perceive a need for treatment. And I think that just kind of aligns with much of the work that we do with Black Mental Wellness and that even when symptoms are present, even when resources sometimes are present, because on a college campus, most times there are like some sort of free, it's mostly a limited number of services. Yeah. But I was trying to think about how do we control for that access issue, right? And I think about a, a college campus in that way, because at least you can go to the, you know, the local college counseling center and to know that those students are still not seeking services despite their high risk was just a really big concern for me. And yeah. in general, I want to do work that's going to help eliminate barriers for, you know, black, black individuals. But honestly, people that have this elevated risk, when we talk about trauma, when we talk about suicide risk, like those are the groups of people that I think need the help the most. And oftentimes are the groups of people that are the last to, to, to receive the help or are the last to even go about attempting, right, to, to receive services. So that project that was kind of like the focus of the project to mm -hmm. understand suicide risk more globally. Um, I have some other articles that I wrote that kind of looked at that intersection of not just race. But I think we talk about ourselves around identity in an isolated way. Like I'm a black American or I'm a woman or, mm -hmm. you know, I identify with group. And I think the truth is that no one person is coming into a space as one thing, right? We're coming as of a course. collective, everything mm -hmm. that we are. And so this work was looking at the intersection of race and identifying as, a LG, as someone that identifies as LGBTQ mm -hmm. and thinking about differences in that way. And so that was kind of the area of that project. I still have a high interest in suicide risk and intervention yeah. and treatment. At my current position now, I'm developing a clinic that's specific to depression and this kind of like suicide risk piece of thing. Wow. And did you find that in your research that there's a higher risk for suicide amongst black stu college students than white? Or is it kind of the same? Or is it the treatment access? What are the variables? So in that study, I only looked at the black college students. So it wasn't okay. about comparing it to other races. And I think sometimes that's another thing in research. I think a lot of times there's a lot of work that's done at like looking across race differences and we identify that they're there. But I think there needs to also be more work about in really understanding the, in the experience, the unique experience of black students or black people in general and understanding the diversity of the black community. I think we all think a lot of times that you know, the black community is one way, but like within our community, there's so many different variations yeah. that I think make us such an awesome culture. And, yeah. when we, and when we say black, we can be talking about Caribbean, like someone that comes exactly. from Caribbean, someone whose family has immigrated from the continent of Africa. And I just think when you look at one group and it's in its totality and not just like, let me box you. So I you're not going to get the correct results. No. I think we get more rich data. And now you yeah. talked about, like, I start with a narrative in all my, in all my family, I mean, in all my patients or my case studies. I think that's important for us. Yeah. To, not just as individuals, but in the research sector of things like really working in that, that way. You know, I love, I love that, that what you've just said, because if you look at the individual case study, then you're measuring a person against themselves. You're not measuring them against something else. And so you look within the context of a case study. So that, and that's also how I've done my research. We've done that because you've got to have a certain amount of, you know, double blind, random controlled. You've, you've got a certain general analysis of, of your experimental versus control or whatever it may be that you're looking at. But the most effective information or the most useful information comes from the narrative 
as a, for the individual case study and their story. So that is true. But for the purposes of changing the ra- the social structures, we have to see that disparity. And But then we've got to do other research. So we've got to make sure the research becomes richer, much more to the individual. And I think that we are. That's... I'm saying that researchers are actually being intentional about recruiting diverse samples. I think a lot of times when we think about research studies, they're predominantly white. And I think that's another reason why some of the mistrust is existing within the black community, because even the data we're using to make some of the decisions you're making about my care are not coming from necessarily Uh, a large sample and what we would consider to be a appropriate amount of power, right? Like to really answer this specific question. So we're not, I mean, I think there's so, again, I think it's so important for people to find their lane. Like if you are a researcher, that's an example of a particular way you can be more intentional. Do some good research, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, that's really good advice. Well, anything else that you both want you to get? she said too is just about I think what you talked about with the college students is exactly what we see in therapy right that people have all of these what we would identify as risk factors but they may not think I need help Ah. and part of that Mm -hmm. that education right about what therapy could how you can use therapy and when Mm. it can be useful and what indicators of therapy. But I think that for a lot of Black people, when you're used to enduring stressors or what is, you know, what's normalized around you and not saying for everybody, right? But just saying that when you're even going back to the whole strong Black woman, strong Black man, or being able to endure a lot of things, then you may not even look at it as this isn't normal or this, I can seek help at this point. And so making Mm. it okay, it doesn't have to be this big catastrophic thing before you seek help, but that you can actually seek help when you're struggling in college or, you know, you're having a Anytime. Yeah. Life. Or you just need a thought everyone's partner. Yeah. yeah like, everyone's back. And you got to, I always say to everyone, listen, it's a, it's, it's a human experience, depression, all of us, anxiety. This is what we all experiencing, but it's different in everyone's story. And we need to accept that. We need to make it, that I think that the problem the I see a big part of the problem is the narrative of saying that it's an it that it's a clinically diagnosed depression. It makes it sound so scary. So people and then all the connotations that come with it. I mean, you know, it's worse for the black community than the white community, but it's bad enough for anyone, anyone with a mental health. You know, someone's having a breakdown, the police turn up. I mean, you're already having a breakdown, then they, it gets even worse. And how many times have have the, you know? I mean, we know the story. What happens in mental health and the the the, the police situations being called in. That's got to change. Mental health requires compassion. If someone's depressed, it's not an it in their head jumping out. It is actually a, a story that that person's got a story. There's something going on. They need compassion. They need social workers. They need psychologists. They're not police locking them up and making them even more fearful and stuff. We've got to change the whole narrative of mental health, and then it'll then it'll carry over to. And it shouldn't be just the narrative of mental health for Black people. It should be the narrative of mental health because you've got to then stop making that that, that distinction. It goes to your research point you know we've got to be careful that we don't have like one set of rules for one and one set of humans have mental health issues we have since the beginning of time it's normal life is tough and there's different experiences for each person so let's just all accept we're all crazy and let's all help each other kind of thing you know that sort of philosophy i think we've got to change our philosophy so strongly in in the world of mental health well is there anything you else would would you like to say just in a closing statements either of you'd like to make? I mean this is only the beginning of a discussion. I think we need to have a lot more. I'd love to have you both back on again and you know take this discussion further as well. It would be amazing. But if there's something that you'd like to say. Yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know about resources that we have available on our Please website. Do. You can visit www.blackmentalwellness.com and you will find a range of resources specific to specific mental health disorders as well as general coping strategies, coping strategies specific to COVID. It's a, a, a plethora of resources and, you know, make sure to follow our social media pages, Black Mental Wellness, where we kind of do a more lay person's way of explaining certain things or connecting with people. We're currently in a Let's Just Be Honest campaign, which is all about how we use art to heal and how we use art to express. Um, and we try to really model expression of art through our merchandise line, Authentically Me, where each of us have shared a personal story about why whatever the saying on our t-shirt and you can visit our website to see that as well really represents our personal journey with mental health and wellness and just a piece of why we're so passionate about what we do so if you can check out our website we would love that you can support us in in those ways we would really appreciate that nicole if you have anything to add please 
feel free. I mean, you summed it up so perfectly. <laughs> thank you for sharing your platform with us. I love yes, the course. And of course. course. Are the conversations that make change, you know, and I, I really felt like we could talk and be honest. We're sharing platforms just to be able to say this is a different perspective and it gives people a chance to listen, like we said, but that we can all come together and sort of think about now what do we do with this information? I think it's, you know, think about culture, educate yourself, get resources, and then for the people like we all can benefit from therapy. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It just means that you're a human having an experience. Exactly. Help you. And the way I explain it to my patients all the time is like when you go to the doctor and they say, oh, you have high blood pressure. Your doctor is going to come up with these are the things I want you to do. These are the foods I want you to eat. This is what I want you to exercise. Here are your meds. <laughs> in that same way that you come in. We, we're, we're regular people. Yeah. We're going to listen to you. And then you will be able to think about what are the things that's going to help me deal with where I am right now. So I just want to normalize it as much I love as possible. It. Absolutely. We all need the help. We all, it's, it's a normal part of humanity and therapy is an incredible tool to help process the challenges of life. So it's something we, we all need. And there was a study that Yale brought out in 2018, which says there is no normal brain, which is such a great study. I love that title because it just shows that we all in the same space in terms of battling with the differences in life. And where we see an issue like currently there is this issue that we have to finally address properly with Black Lives Matter. We, we can talk, it's all combined together to contribute to the health of society as a whole. Thank you. We're going to put all those links in the show notes. Your webpage is lovely. All those things that you're doing are great. I, said, I recommend everyone go have a look at that and follow these ladies on Instagram. They're doing such a great job and we'll put the links in the show notes. And thank you, Dr. Nicole and Dr. Daniel for joining me. I'd love to have you guys back again to con- pick up and continue this conversation. It would be amazing. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you both. Thanks so much. See you again. See you next time. Bye. Bye. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors.